Hold on, oh, Charles. <laughs> I love what you've done with your hair. Mm, you too. <laughs> Thank you for seeing me on such short notice. Henry, you are always welcome here. You're a part of this place. I have news. Is it Eric? No, though we have been making some progress on that front. Mystique was recently apprehended. Who's the furball? Hank McCoy, Secretary of Mutant Affairs. Right, right, the secretary. Nice suit. Henry, this is Logan. He's, Wolverine. Um... I hear you're quite an animal. Look who's talking. You know Magneto's gonna come get Mystique, right? Magneto's not the problem. At least not our most pressing one. A major pharmaceutical company has developed a mutant antibody. A way to suppress the mutant X gene. Suppress? Permanently. They're calling it a cure. Well, that's ridiculous. You can't cure being a mutant. Well, scientifically speaking... Since when did we become a disease? How can anybody Strong. in their right... They're announcing it now. These so-called mutants are people just like us. Their affliction is nothing more than a disease, a corruption of healthy cellular activity. But I stand here today to tell you that there's hope. And this site, once the world's most famous prison, will now be the source of freedom for all mutants who choose it. Ladies and gentlemen, I proudly present the answer to mutation. Finally, we have a cure. Who would want this cure? I mean, what kind of coward would take it just to fit in? Is it cowardice to save oneself from persecution? Not all of us can fit in so easily. You don't shed on the furniture. Well, for all we know, the government helped cook this up. I can assure you the government had nothing to do with this. Yeah, well, I've heard that before. My boy, I have been fighting for mutant rights since before you had claws. Did he just call me boy? Is it true? They can cure us? Yes, Rogue, it appears to be true. No, Professor. They can't cure us. You want to know why? Because there's nothing to cure. Nothing's wrong with you. Or any of us, for that matter. Welcome to the Superhero Cinephiles Podcast. I'm your host, Perry, uh, Perry Constantine, and welcoming a new guest, a fellow uh, podcaster, and that's Josh Chumbarai. Josh, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Um, so what I like to do with new guests is give them a chance to talk a little bit about themselves. So why don't you tell the audience a little bit about you and what you do? Awesome. Um, hey, listeners. Uh, my name is Josh. I host a podcast called Super Scary. Uh, we uh, primarily uh, cover horror movies, uh, but uh, we also dive into some other stuff like sci-fi and superhero films. Uh, we just recently recorded with uh, Perry for Morbius, which was uh, which was fun uh, to kind of rip into, you know, a really bad movie <laughs> and uh, give our suggestions of how we would make it better. So uh, we have a lot of fun on my podcast. Um, otherwise, uh, I really enjoy superhero films, so I, I was happy that uh, Perry reached out to me because I was kind of uh, looking for somebody to to share my my love of superhero films with. So uh, so I'm excited to dive into this today. 
So let's uh, let's start there and talk a little bit about how you got into superhero movies and all that stuff. Um, what's kind of your your background as far as superhero movies go or comics or anything like that? Yeah. Um, so I I believe I watched the first X-Men film and I think that came out in like 2000. Right. So yeah. I was I was about. I was born in 92, so I was like eight or eight or 10 years old uh, uh, when I first watched that. And I, I really connected with uh, the X-Men and I think I think me being gay as well, kind of, you know, their their themes of, um, you know, kind of being outcasts in their community um, or, or in society in general, you know, that really kind of resonated with me, even though at the time, you know, Obviously, I didn't really understand until I was much older, but you know, now I really kind of uh, connect with it on that level. But but otherwise, um, you know, the X Men in general, I think, are just really creative because they have a lot of um, you know creative powers, and I, I like the diversity in the group. Um, whereas sometimes with um, you know. Justice League or Avengers, even they all kind of blend together at a mm-hmm. certain point for at least for me. Um, yeah, so the X Men really kind of uh called to me, uh, but I really enjoy Marvel a little more than DC. Um, but of course, growing up, I feel like in the 90s, like the Superman and Batman cartoon, um, cartoons and even X-Men and mm-hmm. Spider-Man, all the, all those kind of classics, uh, you know, I still kind of go back to those, gravitate towards those. So, uh, yeah, I think a lot of that, and, and we've talked a lot about this on the show before, um, it's whatever kind of like grabs you first, like if it's Marvel or DC, whatever kind of grabs you, that kind of makes you, you know, the fan for them for life. So with you, it was Marvel with me too. It was Marvel. It was also the X-Men. Um, I'm, I'm about, uh, nine years older than you so it actually was the uh the animated series so i was already in i was in high school when the when the movie came out but so it was the animated series that drew me in and then ended up moving from there to the comics and on but um other guests i've had on who they got into like um like superman or batman first and then they end up being a dc fan hardcore now more than marvel so yeah i'm very much kind of the thing even though i do love a whole lot of dc stuff now um, Marvel is still kind of what I just kind of like naturally gravitate to towards as a result. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, also with the X-Men movies in particular, I feel like they, uh, well, I think Spider-Man technically came out, did it come out before? No, Spider-Man, uh, Spider-Man came out in 2002 and then X-Men came oh, out okay. uh, in 2000. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So my memory serves correct. Um, you know, X-Men kind of set the tone for like the early 2000s. Right. Um, you know, good and bad. Yeah, <laughs> in yeah. In some regards, you know, but um, but I I really enjoyed, uh, you know, I recently rewatched them like during the pandemic. And then, of course, with um, Disney acquiring the, the Fox properties, they're all kind of popping up on Disney Plus now. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, oh, great. Another excuse to watch it. So <laughs> um, but uh, the the movie we're talking about today, The Last Stand, I hadn't really watched. I, I, w- I want to say like a good five years. Like it's been a good bit. Yeah. Um, so I, I enjoyed rewatching this. Um, and I feel like I, 
I'm not as critical on it now after, <laughs> you know, some of the other uh, X-Men movies that have come out since and even, you know, just Marvel properties in general, there's some mm. good and bad. Um, so I'm not as critical on this as maybe, you know, like 10 years ago mm. watching this. <laughs> I think I've gone through phases where I've been more critical and less critical of it as throughout the years. Um, I remember when it came out, I was very critical of it at the time. Um, especially because it, it kind of divided the fandom into these two groups uh, at the time it came out because um, we'll, we'll get into the backstory, but before we get into that, uh, another thing I want to ask uh, new guests is what are you kind of interested in now? Not necessarily for your podcast or anything like that, but what are you just kind of like into at the moment? It can be movies, comics, TV, video game, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, well, uh, I really want to play the new Pokemon Violet and Scarlet game. Um, even though uh, if you if you follow it on social media at all, the 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 kind of glitches and and stuff that are going on with it is kind of wild and, and funny. So I, I really want to check that out eventually. But um, other than that, I I, I really enjoy playing uh, RPG video games. Mm. So I'm I'm kind of replaying a bunch of. Final Fantasy games and that type of stuff. So, um, and as far as like TV and, and movies, I, uh, I I really have to catch up on a bunch of stuff on Disney Plus, like mm. Andor. Um, I'm gonna be watching this weekend with my dad um, when he comes into town because he's a big Star Wars junkie like me. Um, so I have to watch that. I have to watch She Hulk, even though uh, She Hulk uh, again, is so good. Yeah, um, and. I don't know if you, if, I'm sure you've seen the discourse on it, <laughs> you know, it's on Twitter and such. So ridiculous. Unbelievable. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. So I'm, I, I figured it was kind of, you know, blown out of proportion, but oh, yeah. Um, I'm, yeah. So I'm, I'm excited to, to watch that. Um, I got about halfway through Moon Knight and then uh, kind of fell off. Cause I, I think mm. I was watching other stuff like you know there's just so much on disney plus now that's kind of like being thrown at you every week so i feel like i'm i have a huge backlog i know i've got i've got you know i'm we're subscribed to disney hbo max and uh and netflix and just like i've got a huge backlog of stuff and i'm still trying to catch up with the last season of young justice on hbo and now just this morning before we started recording i saw that uh HBO Max is going to be pulling Westworld off its service, and I haven't finished that yet. So now I got to oh, get back into that. Yeah, it, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I feel like Warner Brothers is going through a very interesting uh, transition. I guess is the word. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, and I know that uh, James Gunn recently hopped on as their um, kind of. I, I guess they're Kevin Feige for the right, DC yeah. universe. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. But, you know, that I don't know. It's a, it's a mess. Which is the, right yeah, I mean, so far that seems to be the one good thing, one good decision that Zaslav has made is putting uh, James Gunn in charge of the DC stuff. But all this other stuff, you know, he's trashing HBO Max so he can merge it with Discovery so it can, you know, he's going to be flooding it with all this reality TV crap and all this yeah. stuff that people actually like me signed up for HBO for, you know, we're going to have to get it out somewhere else or it may not be released at all because he doesn't want to pay residuals. So, I mean, right. at this rate, they're just going to end up driving like a whole new golden age of piracy, it seems. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think it'll be 
interesting. I, I'm sure there's some sort of bootleg version of the, the Batwoman um, movie oh, Batgirl. floating out there. Or Batgirl, I'm sorry, um, floating out there somewhere, mm-hmm. um, which I don't know why they just didn't go ahead and release it. But, I know. You know All for just, damn uh, tax cuts. Ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a shame because I, I think it would have, you know, even though it was, I, I think it was only going to be released on, on HBO max. Right. right but, yeah. But even so, I think it would have done decently well. You know, I felt like it had like a decent amount of, um, you know, star power, especially with mm-hmm. Michael Keaton in it. Right. That it, it, kind of the whole multiverse aspect of it i think it would have really i I've, i think i would have enjoyed it because i do like michael keaton's version of batman from mm-hmm. late the late 80s right. um and uh uh well speaking of that that's another uh the the batman and robin movie i think was like my first uh uh live action batman movie that i wow <laughs> That's yeah. a start. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Which um, it, it's it's a guilty pleasure of mine. I'll admit. Um, mm-hmm. I, I love Uma Thurman as Poison Ivy. I think it's it, it's iconic in my opinion. Uh, mm-hmm. Others may say otherwise, but um, I think it's just like a fun, campy movie. Even though it's you know, you know, what, I've actually we did an episode. <laughs> we did an episode on it a while back, and um, with my with my late co-host and uh one of the things that we we kind of felt about is like we both we both kind of came around on it because um if you watch it as uh a modern reinterpretation of like the 66 batman it's it's actually kind of entertaining i mean it's not a good movie i wouldn't say but it's still it's it's entertaining and um and i had watched uh Batman Forever recently, we got an episode coming up. Well, by the time this comes out, the Batman Forever episode will be out. But when I rewatched that, I actually kind of changed my opinion on those Batman films. Because at first it was, you know, Batman and Robin was the worst one of them. But now I'm like, no, actually, Batman Forever is probably the worst one of them. It's just like a total mess. Also, unbelievably horny. <laughs> I forgot about yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, I, I, you know, just a, a kid watching you know well that movie it's it's just weird uh, the the batman and robin mm. movie the 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 bat nipples the mm. the the weird um uh, uh mr freeze <laughs> you know it's a, it's it's a, it's a lot but but i enjoy it i i watch it a lot <laughs> i had also read um this this kind of came out after uh after Joel Schumacher passed away but and i mentioned this when we talked about the episode but but you saying that you were born in 92 and and that you're gay a lot of that made me remember that i had read that a lot of um lgbtq people around the same around your same age even my generation too a little bit uh found batman and robin really influential to them in their like self discovery journeys yeah, yeah, I, I've definitely seen um, like reports about that, and, mm. and I would agree to a certain degree. I mean, like Robin's in freaking underwear, basically. Like, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and and even um, I mean, at, in my circles on Twitter and and stuff, uh, you know, a lot of the uh, there's a lot of discourse about Nightwing and mm. um, his voluptuous uh, 
but if you will in the tights <laughs> and uh the the kind of clamoring about it with uh with uh gotham knights i think mm. there was an early version of it where he didn't have a nice butt and everybody was like no <laughs> like canceled um yeah so so i would definitely agree with that yeah um, dick grayson seems to be a huge thirst trap for both uh for both gay fans and female fans i've noticed hey I- <laughs> I, I, I will say amen <laughs> to that. <laughs> um, but anyway, so uh, today, we're like you mentioned, we were talking about uh, X-Men The Last Stand. And like I'd started to talk about before, um, this movie was kind of a total mess going into production. I know you were very young when uh, this came out, so I'm not sure how much you were kind of privy to at the time. But uh, Singer had done X2 and... Um, and one of the things I hate about this now is this is kind of putting me in a position where I have to defend Brian Singer, which is something I hate doing because the guy's a the guy's a monster. But, yeah. um, <laughs> but at the time, you know, Singer had done X2 and he had started to work on like a treatment uh, for the third movie. He had planned to have the whole focus be like the Phoenix, bring in Emma Frost and the Hellfire Club. I think he actually wanted Sigourney Weaver to play Emma Frost was kind of like his casting idea for it yeah. and it was going to yeah. be kind of like this three-way battle between the x-men uh the brotherhood and the hellfire club trying to you know take control of the phoenix in some form and that was going to be the the through line of the entire movie um problem was fox kept dragging their feet on whether or not they wanted to make a third movie and they were just kind of like oh you know we haven't decided we haven't decided yet um and so then singer got offered the chance to do uh a superman movie and superman movies were always kind of like in this weird flux at that time because the the superman lives project with nicholas cage and tim burton was kind of killed after batman and robin and then there were all these different versions that were floating around uh, J.J. Abrams was working on one at one point, and there was um, uh, Brett Ratner was involved at one point, and you know, right. I think M. Night Shyamalan was even involved at one point on it, and it was just like all these different treatments and scripts flying around. Wolfgang Peterson was involved in a Superman Batman movie at one point too. Um, oh wow! And then finally, they had approached Singer, and Singer was a huge fan of the uh, the Richard Donner Superman films. And um, apparently Kevin Spacey had said that on the set of The Usual Suspect, Singer was telling anyone who would listen about his idea for a better Superman 3. <laughs> and so this was something that he'd apparently wanted to do for a while. So when Warner Brothers came to him and asked him if he'd be interested in doing Superman, he asked them, oh, I would do it if you let me do it as a sequel to Superman 2. And they said, OK. And then he and then he went on to that. And then as soon as Fox found out about this, they're like, what are you doing? You're supposed to do X-Men 3. And he's like, but you guys told me you're, you're not ready to do it. They're like, no, we're doing it now. And you have to decide, are you going to do Superman? Or are you going to do X-Men? So Singer's like, well, I already signed with Warner Brothers. So I'm going to be doing X-Men. And Fox like, okay, fine. We're getting another director and we are putting, we are fast tracking the third X-Men movie into production. And we're going to have it come out the same summer as Superman returns. And it's like this whole rush production. So they got, they brought on Matthew Vaughn at first to, um, to do it. And then, Vaughn ended up quitting like about a week or so before filming because he said that the schedule Fox was proposing was just ridiculous and it was like impossible to to do. So he he dropped out of that. Later he would come back to do first class, but and then um, so then finally they settled on Brett Ratner, which um, uh, Jesus Christ, <laughs> Brett Ratner. <laughs> I mean, it's just he's I, I 
he's not he's the kind of director you go to when you want a film to be on time and under budget that's basically why you hire brett ratner you don't hire brett ratner because you think he's a visionary filmmaker (laughs) yeah that um and and you could definitely tell in this movie compared Mm -hmm. to the the first two kind of the quality of it because like the first two movies have a pretty good storyline for the most part oh yeah and then um this one kind of goes off the rails a little bit. And I think they try to do a little too much, try to combine two different storylines, which upon my rewatch uh, this week, I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe it's not as bad, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but, um, but yeah, you can definitely, you can definitely tell the difference. (laughs) Well, that was one of the things because Fox was pushing very hard for it to just be about, the brotherhood and the cure stuff. And then the screenwriters were actually pushing back because they wanted to include the stuff with Gene. And that's kind of why, like for like the entire second half of the movie, Gene just kind of stands around, literally stands around doing nothing. Pretty much. And I I feel like that. I just love the, the Phoenix saga so much. Like Jean Mm -hmm. Grey is one of, is probably my favorite character from the X-Men just because she kind of starts out as, kind of a damsel in distress in a way Mm -hmm. in most parts because she's trying to figure out her powers and the place on the team and then you know in the the 80s uh in the comics uh chris claremont you know does an amazing job with the the phoenix saga right um so when i i I remember reading those comments it was probably shortly after the movies came out and i um I think I told you, Perry, that I have these like huge like anthology books of mm-hmm. like the um, the Chris Claremont run, um, and I recently just found them again, so I'm going to be reading that this weekend too. But um, anyway, I, I think uh, the actress who plays Jean does a really good job in this movie. Um, mm-hmm. Amka Jensen. Amka Jensen, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, she does an amazing job in all three of these movies, and I mm. think she was great in you know kind of this um dual personality like you can tell in her face that there's a stark difference between her playing phoenix and playing gene yes and i feel like they should have they should have just stuck with the phoenix storyline and and i i think i don't know if it was ratner or uh, who was the original um Oh, Vaughn. Vaughn was... Matthew Vaughn, yeah. Yeah. I think Vaughn uh, was the one who mentioned that he would have done this as like a two-part movie and kind of uh, incorporated, like you said, the Hellfire Club, which I think would have made a better better Mm -hmm. movie in the world. Right. Yeah. um, Apparently that... uh, I didn't didn't read about the making it a two-parter, but that makes so much sense because... Fox was really sold on this idea of this being the final movie at, which is why it's called the last stand. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, they were really intent on this idea of this being like the final movie in the trilogy. And then after that, they were kind of going to close the books on these movies and they're going to move on to other stuff because they already had, they're already doing like, uh, some early work on uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine at this point. And so they had a bunch mm. of rules for like what characters they could use in this movie, what characters they couldn't, because they wanted to save some for for uh, Wolverine. Like Gambit was originally intended by almost everyone who worked in this movie. Gambit was intended to be in this, but Fox wanted him in uh, 
in X-Men Origins instead. So he was pushed off and and uh, kept for that. Like the, the convoy scene, he was supposed to be one of the prisoners in that, for example. Another script oh. treatment had him as kind of like the the spoiler person in the, the Bobby rogue romance. So he was supposed to be involved in, involved in that at one point. Um, and, uh, someone, I can't remember who it was, but someone who was involved said they had wanted uh, Keanu Reeves actually to play Gambit, which would have been, um, interesting choice at that time, I think. Yeah. Um, I think, I think, I think now as we look at it in 2022, uh, I think it's kind of a missed opportunity to just, Mm -hmm just incorporate those and, and instead of just saving them. Yeah. Cause now we kind of look back and I mean, like the, there was supposed to be a solo gambit movie with mm-hmm. Channing Tatum for like the longest time. Right. Uh, which, you know, teenage me was excited about that. Cause I was obsessed with Channing Tatum for a little bit. Um, but <laughs> uh, I, but now looking back, I'm like, Oh, I'm kind of glad that movie didn't get mm-hmm. made. <laughs> but um you know, in general, I think they should have just built out the universe. And just, yeah, I mean, clearly these movies were were popular enough. I feel like, even though the third one, uh, this third one, you know, wasn't necessarily critically acclaimed by mm-hmm. any means, but I, I think it's definitely a missed opportunity. You know? Yeah, and they had uh, they had made a lot of. You could tell that they were planning on this being like the the last film then, and they had. Um, they'd kind of pushed back like the writers and, and Bradner had pushed back on that a little bit. So they kind of tried to leave the door open for stuff where they could. So um, like, for example, Cyclops death. They never show his body. So it's kind of left hanging open that maybe he's still alive. They bring back professor X at the end of the movie in the, in a post credit scene. Um, right. There's the hint at the end where Magneto might have his powers back. So all of this is like, it's like they, they close the door and they're like, we're going to leave it open just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah absolutely and uh, you know the the sequels that come after this are, are mm-hmm. sequels quotations um you know especially the the wolverine movie where he's in japan and they bring back um famka uh, jensen yeah but uh, famka jensen yeah thank you um you know it's it's not great like i wish they would have just you know scrapped kind of focusing on Wolverine so much. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's what I'd like. I love Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. I think it's perfect casting. And I feel like a lot of, you know, the early uh, 2000s um, movies, like even with Fantastic Four as well, mm-hmm. I feel like they they were perfectly cast for the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but in particular, I think um, uh, Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart are always going to be Right. Like my Professor X and, and Magneto. And mm-hmm. same with uh with Jean Grey too, Famka Jensen, I think just nails it. Um, but but yeah. <laughs> I mean the only the only castings that I have a problem with in these movies, uh, it's really just Halle Berry is probably the only one I have a problem with because she's just well also in the later movies, I've got a problem with Evan Peters as Quicksilver just because that that's not Quicksilver. Like Quicksilver Aaron Taylor Johnson is in Age of Ultron. That is Quicksilver from the comics. Right. Evan right. Peters is basically Impulse from DC. Um, so I, <laughs> so I've, I've never really. I, I, I know he's very popular with a lot of the fans of these movies, but I've just never been able to accept Evan Peters as Quicksilver because of that. And same thing with Halle Berry as Storm. Like it's just she. I 
part of it is the scripts don't do her any favors in these movies, but also it's like they keep putting her into this role. Whenever she does get some sort of chance to shine, they move her into like stereotypical angry black woman instead of, you know, what Storm is in the comics. And that's always been a huge disappointment to me in these movies. Yeah, I agree with that. It's uh, the the fight scene in in Jean's house is pretty good, but I I feel like Storm is not really shown in a great light. Like it's it's just kind of a uh, you know punching, kicking, whatever. The constant it, whirlwind thing got annoying. Yeah, r- right. That and like, why not show off her powers more? <laughs> like, <laughs> I I feel like we did never really see the full extent of storm's powers in any of the x-men films so i'm i'm hoping with the mcu now having the rights to x-men that we kind of see the x-men shine a little more yeah i mean i feel like we've we've seen a great uh display of you know wolverine's powers Mm. (laughs) i feel like we've kind of beat that to the ground so i am hoping that some of these other like like iceman for example and even rogue like Mm. i rogue is another one of my favorites and i i i feel like they just do her so dirty in these early movies they do like she yeah does nothing like mm-hmm. like she's basically wearing gloves the entire I mean, time she can touch no one <laughs> you know we we had covered the uh the first x-men movie on one of our early episodes and one of the things i noted at the time is that rogue in that movie she's basically young kitty pride like if you go back and you read those early issues yeah. with kitty pride that's basically exactly who rogue is um and it's just like so much of that character is just missing from these movies i mean i can't i can't hold anna paquin at fault for any of that because that's just the way these scripts are written um yeah but um but yeah she gets done dirty in these uh Halle Berry is just completely miscast in the in all th- in all these movies. Um, another one who just gets completely shafted, even though he gives one of the greatest subdued performances, is James Marsden. Like he is, yeah, he does so much with so little. Like he, you know, he can't show his eyes at all, but still, he's able to convey. I was surprised when we watched that first X Men movie, and and I had realized watch going back and watching it just how cool and collected cyclops is throughout that entire thing like wolverine's constantly trying to to piss him off and he's constantly trying to get him to react and scott's just having none of it he's just like he's just like really calm and collected and the first time he meets it and wolverine grabs him and you know gets on him and scott just kind of looks at him and he just kind of looks over at professor x like listen can you pull this guy down or else i'm or can i yeah. can i blast this fucker and he just yeah. he's just total cool professional the whole time and then and and in some of those deleted scenes, you ever seen some of the deleted scenes in the first X-Men movie, he gets yeah. a chance to, we see more of his relationship with professor X with Gene and it, he does, he's such a good actor and he's, and he just gets totally shafted in these movies. And then, then this one too, because there is also because of Fox's desire to compete with Warner brothers, with Superman, they had kind of like a casting wars going on because Brian Singer right. had asked a bunch of people to come and be in Superman Returns, like Famke Jansen, he had wanted in, uh, Sean Ashmore, he had wanted, James Marsden, obviously, uh, probably a few more too. And so then Fox started this kind of like casting war. They they told these actors, you can be in X-Men or you can be in Superman, but you can't be in both. So, um, so Jansen and Ashmore, they ended up choosing, going with the X-Men. Um, and Marsden said, 
you guys, Singer gave me more to do, is giving me more to do in this Superman movie than you guys gave me to do in two damn movies. All the scenes you had me do in the first two X-Men movies, you cut. So I'm going to go in, I'm going to go be in Superman then instead. Uh, yeah. And it's true, like, he gets more to do in that one movie than he got to do in three X-Men movies. But then eventually they had kind of reached a compromise and they were able to bring him in for a little bit here. And it's just to kill him off. His screen time is like maybe five, ten minutes tops in this movie. But even, even still, like, like in, but even still, so in that in that time, though, he gives a, probably the most emotional performance in the movie. Yeah, he I mean, the range of emotions that he's showing, even with him wearing the basic mm-hmm. sunglasses, like it, it's it's pretty damn good. And it's a shame that, you know he was only in the movie for like you said i think less than five minutes yeah like he, he kind of has like a banter with wolverine and then he's like okay i'm gonna go try mm. to find my um potentially deceased girlfriend um yeah <laughs> brb and then uh you know obviously he gets killed off and I, yeah it's it's wild it's it wild. is this it's just yeah but you know and they try to drink. I will say one of the best things about this movie though, is, um, Kelsey Grammer as beast. Oh yes. Yes. Uh, talk about perfect casting, mm-hmm. right? Like it, and the makeup and the, the hair, every, like everything about him is just spot on. And I really wish that they would have brought him back for more movies mm-hmm. or I, I don't know, like team him up with Wolverine in one of these movies. Like, anything <laughs> well the, the makeup thing i'm i'm, I'm kind of iffy on the makeup like there it works for the most part but like when he's in the costume and everything i'm just kind of like this does not this is yeah. not working it look uh, but for the most part it works and but you know just grammar's performance though like he is exactly beast from the comics like from that first introduction scene you see him hanging from the hanging from the ceiling as he's reading a magazine and yeah, you know, awesome. just like the the wit, the intelligence, you know, he's and just like his tone of voice, like his the way he speaks, it's just it's perfect for Beast. And even when he when he says the iconic line from the comics, "Oh my stars and garters," I lost my shit when I heard that in the theaters. Yeah. And it's it's so odd though when you compare it to Nicholas Holt in the in the later movies because Nicholas Holt is not at all Beast like completely divorced from that character. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, I think a big issue with the like kind of newer crop of the X-Men films is that they were trying to make the cast younger Mm -hmm. instead of just kind of rebooting it. Even if they used, um, you know, Patrick Stewart again as professor X just kind of, and again, now with, you know, the MCU kind of establishing a multiverse Mm -hmm. or whatnot, um, you know, I think if they were to reboot it now, uh, you know, they can make an argument for bringing some of these people back and right. just kind of calling it, you know, a new timeline or whatever. But I, I, again, I think a big draw from these newer batch, new, this newer batch of X Men films is like they're trying to de age the cast basically, mm-hmm. and um, and we see that with again, Jean Grey, like, I, I think Sophie Turner is a great actri- actress, but, like, 
that Dark Phoenix film was just so bad compared to this. And that's probably why I give this a, a little bit more of a pass. Yeah, that's, and I said that we covered Dark Phoenix a while back, and I had mentioned this when I covered that too. It It's unbelievable that they screwed up Dark Phoenix so much in this movie, and then they're like, okay, we're going to do it again. We're going to do it right. And somehow they managed to screw it up even worse. It's but even so even bad. more than that is they brought in the same writer who screwed it up the first time and they give it to him and they're like, do it again. And this time also direct it for your first director, director, your director debut. And I'm just like, what did you think was going to happen here? Yeah. I, yeah. And, and you're setting yourself up to fail by saying, we're going to get it right this time mm-hmm. and use it and basically making the same exact mistake. Same exact mistake. It, it, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, just convoluted plot, like, not focusing on the right things, um, shitty writing, like... Trying to shoehorn in Magneto and the Brotherhood into that whole thing as well. The exact same mistakes. Exact same mistakes. And I I think they should have just went the Hellfire Club route Mm -hmm. and just, you know... Because that's really the... None of the X-Men movies really bring in the Hellfire Club, and I feel like that's such a big portion of the history of we get them the in, in we get them in first class but they're it's, oh that's it's, true yeah but it's weird because it to your point though it's it's not like the hellfire it's like a proto brotherhood because you know yeah. kevin bacon you know as good as much fun as his performance is that's not sebastian shaw that's right. magneto light <laughs> right <laughs> right down to him wearing the helmet <laughs> literally and i was just like oh god like come on man um you know, overall, First Class is one of the better, mm. you know, movies of the franchise. But yeah, um, yeah, I would just love to see a, a good version of the Hellfire Club because I, I like Emma Frost, too. I, I, I like all the tele, telepathic, telekinetic mutants, I feel like. Did you ever watch, <laughs> uh, did you watch the Gifted TV series? I watched a little bit of it. I, I need to go back and kind of rewatch it. Um mm-hmm. Because I, I know that Polaris is in it a little yeah, bit. Right? Yeah, she's a big, big um, part of it. Um, but also, yeah. they they work in the Hellfire Club. And the Hellfire Club in that is much closer to what they are in the comics than they were in, in these movies. Gotcha, yeah. So yeah, I, that's definitely worth a watch. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't watched a whole lot of that. I think I watched like the first three episodes and then again kind of fell off. Because mm-hmm. I, I think at the time there was a lot lot going on yeah oh it gets so much better after those first three episodes like the rest yeah like those first three episodes it was a little bit kind of slow but um and even like the premise like it was kind of marketed really badly because they put all the focus on this family when really the the show's a lot bigger than that it's actually a really good show and it gave a lot of lesser known x-men characters a real chance to sign like blink is in that show and she's amazing in it um polaris is a huge part of it thunderbird who you know basically it's like no because he's killed right away he gets so much he gets he's such a big part of that show though and it's really good it's really good show nice yeah i'll have to put that on my list then (laughs) yeah um back to this movie uh there's just i'm (laughs) i'm trying to think of what what i wanted to kind of jump on just because there's so much to talk about here but i guess um Elliot Page is probably a good place to start as uh, as Kitty because he is, um, you know, the, the 
Kitty has been at was in all three of these movies, um, but it was just in cameos in the first two. And it's kind of funny because you watch those movies in order and it's like it seems like each t- each time they have a different actress playing Kitty and it seems like each time they go younger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, Elliot looks so young compared to the other two. It's mm-hmm. it's very weird. Um and it's it's kind of I don't like the depiction of like Rogue and Iceman and Kitty all having mm-hmm. this kind of weird love triangle. And then you're also shoehorning in like Rogue considering the cure just to just for Iceman to basically so she can, you know, kiss him or yeah. whatever. It's 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 again, it, it does Rogue really dirty in this. Um, but I think uh I think it was cool to see her in a- or uh, see him in action as uh, as Kitty, um, and I think the effects uh, for the kind of phasing through the walls was pretty good too. Mm-hmm. I felt like it held up pretty well, um, and of course the kind of iconic scene of <laughs> of her, uh, Kitty fighting Juggernaut, and he's mm-hmm. like, "I'm the Juggernaut, bitch!" Oh God, <laughs> that line. <laughs> I think that's the first example of a movie using a meme in in uh and it's just like it's it's so cringeworthy. I mean Yeah. Because I remember that video and it was like it was it became unexpectedly popular and bizarrely so because it's you watch it now, it's like a lot of mumbling, it's like I'm the juggernaut bitch. I'm like, this is so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know who said like we have to try and put this in like it's just it. It's so bad. It's so bad. It's so bad. And like just that portion is very like uh like like something out of like a campy like mm. superhero movie whereas the rest of the film is it, it really kind of takes itself seriously almost too much. Almost too seriously, think, yeah. Right. Yeah. So I've I think if they would have marked or or made it more so like the kind of flashy campy x-men movie um then it would have worked but there's also a weird (laughs) there's also a weird idea of like where everything takes place in this movie because it seems like (laughs) i I don't think brett ratner knows that the x-men are based in new york and not california because they the the brotherhood seems to be in these like in the woods out near in northern california because then they easily walk from their camp out to the golden gate bridge to get to alcatraz yeah but wolverine just easily comes in and then easily goes back to the mansion no jet or anything and then kitty has that weird comment where she's talking to bobby and she's like i miss home the first snow and i'm like it snows in new york (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i've always been confused by the the location of everything mm. <laughs> in this movie uh, it's yeah and and you bring up a good point like wolverine just kind of comes and goes at the camp and, and and you do make a good point about kitty pride too i was like yeah it snows really bad in new york i'm from pennsylvania originally mm. and it is terrible yeah and, the, and, and we're, t- we're not talking like <laughs> we're not talking midtown manhattan where like we're talking upstate new york they live in yeah. so there's yeah <laughs> So there absolutely would have been snow. But yeah. Whatever. Okay. <laughs> Weird flex. <laughs> um, oh. is is such uh, yeah that that's a weird part and 
just like the whole the, some of these mutants they introduce, like they bring in Callisto, but she's nothing like yeah. Callisto from the comics. They bring in no. Psylocke <laughs> and she like turns invisible or something, or I don't know what the hell's going on with her. And yeah. Kid Omega, who is not at all Kid Omega, he's Quill. It's just like all these characters, they it's like they just had a grab bag of characters and a grab bag of powers and they just mixed and matched. Yeah, and going back to our earlier point about saving certain characters for certain movies, like, I think that writing Psylocke is just some sort of, you know, bottom level tier, like, uh, uh, like, Brotherhood like member? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, it's, it's a very weird, um, it's a very weird route to take mm-hmm. with her, um, and and even when they introduce her in the later films, they never bring her back really. Right, and they never give her anything you know, really to do. And they're like, it's, they do they do Psylocke so dirty in these movies. Yeah, um, I think another one that they kind of underuse is Multiple Man, even mm-hmm. though he, it like it is really cool what he does at the camp, but that's about it. That's all yeah. that he does. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but yeah, they they really kind of shuffled around uh the powers they were like let's uh let's do uh you know a, an an automated generator and see what it spits mm. out and we'll just well, uh we'll just call this one psylocke great also when um <laughs> when magneto and uh and pyro go to that um that mutant meeting in the church and callisto says to him like you know if you're so proud of being a mutant where's your mark that whole thing just came out of nowhere i'm like since when is having a tattoo of thing about mutant pride. That doesn't make any sense. That's never come in, in any of the movies before now. Yeah. It, it, it's weirdly established. And I, yeah, I, I, I like that they had Magneto basically say like, Hey, I, I've been through some shit. Like mm-hmm. don't, don't fucking come for me, but you know, it's, it's so weird. And, and and I feel like they kind of focus on it in the camp whenever Wolverine is like trying to infiltrate it. And they kind of do some close-ups of those tattoos on mm. like the one guy's neck and stuff. And I'm like, what is the significance of this? It's not really like, like I get that they're against the cure, but I don't think you really need to establish like, Hey, they're, <laughs> they're this faction of, mm. of mutants. I, I think we're smart enough and I, and I think we've talked to, we talked about this on the Morbius episode we did on my podcast. Like the audience is smarter than the studios. Oh think. yeah, like, absolutely. <laughs> like we can kind of differentiate the different factions of mutants. <laughs> I feel like it was just done as a way to shoehorn in a reminder about the Holocaust uh, stuff with Magneto's background. True. I really think yeah. that's the only because that it doesn't seem to have any other purpose beyond that, and it's just. But it's just such a ham-fisted way to do it because you introduce this whole concept of mutant branding that has never existed before in these movies. Right. And I don't know if that's... I mean, they do that in the uh, Days of Future Past. Like, right. But it's not, even, it's not even a mark like, of mutant pride. It's a mark of... Right. I, it's, like, it's like the Holocaust thing. It's exactly like it, where they're right. branding mutants for differentiation. Right. So, uh, yeah, I don't know why, I, I don't know if it's trying to mm-hmm. make a call back to that, but, but again, like you said, it's probably just a way to shoehorn in yeah. Magneto's backstory. Well, I mean, talking uh, about which, shoehorning, again, we already know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but talking about shoehorning in characters, Angel in this, um, 
God. And (laughs) it's... They made such a big deal in the lead-up to this movie about how they were going to introduce Angel, he's going to be a member of the team and everything, and he has, like, two beats in this movie, right? There's the scene where he's... Even in the opening credits scene where they show him as a as a young kid trying to cut off his wings, and it makes you think that he's going to be a big focus, and his father is in charge of the laboratory and creating the cure, and then literally the only thing he does is he jumps out the window, flies away, pops up randomly at the X-Mansion when inexplicably they're talking about closing the school suddenly, and then he just flies in at the end, swoops in, saves his dad, and that's it. And it's just, this was also a weird time with a lot of these Marvel movies because almost every single Marvel movie that was coming out at this time had some sort of idea of, like, fathers and sons, like, some sort of, like, conflict. Like, you had you had David and Bruce in the Hulk movie, you had, um, you had Warren and his father in this movie, you had the Blade movies had, like, these weird father-son dynamics stuff going on, and... It, and this is something Avi Arad was talking about a lot in interviews, and I'm just kind of like, it feels like you're you're really forcing up some of your own feelings about your own dad because Warren yeah. Worthington II <laughs> has no purpose in the comics. So why are you making him such a big part of this movie? Yeah, I, yeah, it's it's very strange, um, and I I think they could have utilized Angel a little more, mm. maybe had him a part of the team, but instead he's just kind of peering around corners listening to the X-Men team talk about going to his dad's lab. Like, that's literally the later half of the movie he's just kind of standing there peering around the corner, and I'm like, (laughs) I was like, come on, bro. Like, you gonna help? Or... And, I guess, and, uh, and too, like, you know, I guess he flies all the way from New York to, to Alcatraz then, too. After yeah. That. Yeah. Well, he, he makes a round trip because mm-hmm. he goes from California to New York <laughs> and then comes back. So, yeah, yeah. I, I guess he I guess he I don't know. I guess he knows how to fly. Apparently, I guess I guess. <laughs> really well, you know, because <laughs> they don't really establish like how much he knows about his powers. I right. Think. So it just seems strange that he's just so great at flying already (laughs) Mm -hmm. well also the um and just like the the way they assembled the x-men team here because you've got colossus in here who and i mean you've got colossus you've got juggernaut in the same movie both at the same battle scene and you don't have a colossus and juggernaut fight it's it's such a missed opportunity and and like he has one line in this movie and it's um and it's not even anything related to and like he's just he could it's a line that could have been given to any random character in the movie and that's when he when bobby asked him have you seen Rogue?" and he's like oh yeah she took off and that's it that's the only thing he has to say which which is wild that colossus is the only one that knows what happened to rogue aside from wolverine mm-hmm. obviously but like her own boyfriend doesn't check on her until midday and it's like, hey, Rogue, I'm, I'm coming over. And, and it's wild that Colossus is like the one person. Just out. randomly, he's walking around carrying a TV. Yeah. He's like, oh yeah, she left. Yeah. Didn't you yep, hear? She left. She left. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she said bye to me. She didn't say bye to you. Like, I, I was just, I, I watched that and I never really thought about it before. And I'm like, it's like midday. Like, mm-hmm. did you not go say good morning to your girlfriend? Do you not sleep? at least 
like close to each other you mm. know you could there there's ways that you can make it work but yeah whatever. yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh it's such a missed opportunity well also like when they go into the this battle at the end they're go- they know they're going up against an army and they make right. this whole part about there's only six of us but I'm like, you've got an entire school full of mutants. I'm like, that would have been, and this is supposed to be like this big all or nothing battle. Even I understand their students, but that seems like a good opportunity to rally everybody together. Yeah. And I, I think they could have at least attempted to find Rogue. Like mm-hmm. nobody cares that she left. <laughs> They're like, oh, she went to go get the cure, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they could have utilized Angel. I'm, I'm trying to think of, some other people. I mean, there's that girl that, um, I guess she has similar powers to Banshee. Like, she oh yeah, yeah, Tyra. Yeah, like, yeah, that's Banshee. Tyra, yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, they could have utilized her. Um, <laughs> you know, any of them. Jubilee, because I, I, I don't know where she appeared in the movie, but I, I did see in the credits that Kia Wong is credited as returning as Jubilee. So they could have had, had her in there as well. There are all these different characters you've seen in the background of these movies. You could have had some part for them right yeah it's yeah it's just wild and 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 like we said before it's just you're you're saving some but then you're relegating some of these like like jubilee i feel like you just came off of the 90s where jubilee played a pretty big part in the animated series they still oh yeah like kind of shoehorned that in and really kind of capitalized on I, I mean, I don't know how popular she really is with the fandom, but, you know, at least for me, I would have been like, oh, cool. That would have been cool to see on screen with, like, the effects and stuff. But Well, I mean, that's, a, that's another thing. is like this movie is apparently, like, at the time, it was apparently, like, the most expensive movie ever made. And, yeah. and I'm watching it, and even, like, if you compare it to, like, the second movie, it, it looks cheap. Like, it just looks yeah. cheap. It doesn't look like they spent a whole lot of money on it. Yeah, it's like, where's all this money going? Is it to Kelsey Grammer's, like, <laughs> you know, beast bodysuit, like, that he has to wear? Like, I, because, I, <laughs> I mean, Mystique isn't in this a whole lot, so they, they couldn't have, you know, wasted all that on her, like, makeup <laughs> and all that. But, um, which is, a, again, another character that's done dirty in this movie. Mm-hmm. And in the ones after, out. too. Like, uh, you know, yes. I, I I love I love Jennifer Lawrence as an actress, but unbelievable miscasting there. Yeah, yeah. I I don't even know what X Men character she would have been better at, but yeah, I I think um, uh, I think the actress who plays her, what's her name, Rebecca, Rebecca Romaine. Uh, Re- Rebecca Romaine. Yeah, she. I think she did a great job in the first few movies, and then in the third one, they just kind of have her locked up most of the time and then she gets a cure i mean i think Um, we do get some good moments from her though like when she's talking to um uh the guy in there and um and she's you know like her her speech about um you know like all that i think she does a pretty good job in what little she's given in this movie in fact i'd say i'd put it on par with her performance in the second movie because the second movie was probably the best we've seen of mystique to date oh definitely yeah Yeah, um, so I, I think Rebecca Romaine in the in the second movie was great, and I wish we could have seen more of that um, as far as her like fight scenes and such. Um, 
because I, I think in the second movie, like you said, it, it's probably the best we've ever seen her. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think more of that in this movie probably. But again, the the plot was busy enough already that probably just throwing Mystique in there to right. shapeshift at the end battle probably wouldn't have been, probably wouldn't have worked, but yeah. who knows. Um, <laughs> what do you think of, of Jackman's performance in this? I, again, I like Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, but I think at this point I was a little exhausted of just kind of them shoving Wolverine Mm -hmm. down our throats. And, you know, and and as the years went on, they continued to be a dead horse in a way. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I think in this movie, it just wasn't as good as the rest (laughs) as the other two. I I think it's just kind of, it's a little one note Mm -hmm. and it's, I think because the plot isn't necessarily centered around him, because I feel like the first two movies, it's really centered around his backstory. Right. Um, So there's a little more emotion coming through for Wolverine, but in this movie, he's just kind of like love stricken by, by Gene. And that's basically his entire (laughs) storyline. Yeah. And like the, and you know, Jackman's a great actor, but, there's only so much he can do with when he's given garbage material like this. And like, I look at that, that scene right before they get on the jet and they go to face off against Magneto and the brotherhood where he gives that speech about being X-Men. And it just, it's so forced. It, it does not ring true to that character at all. And Jackman clearly knows that as he's delivering the lines because he's yeah. trying to he's trying to deliver them with earnestness and with feeling but it's clear even he doesn't really buy into these lines and there was another scene there's another cut of that scene where Iceman actually gives that speech to Logan and it works much better um but they chose to do it again and do it with Wolverine giving that speech because you know he's the main character so he's got to give the the big speech at the end yeah and and maybe that would have been a better opportunity to have Halle Berry do that because yeah that's what I was thinking to, too yeah they're trying to set her up to be the person that takes over the school um, which I think would have worked <laughs> I mean that's clearly where you're you know driving the plot and I think it would have given Halle Berry a little bit more um, a, a little bit more oomph mm-hmm. to the character. Because at, at this point, again, it's 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 like garbage material for Storm too. So she just she's just kind of standing there as like a you know second in command to Wolverine mm. somehow, even though she's been at the school for much longer. But well, I mean, there's the whole idea of you could if if you're serious about committing to the Dark Phoenix storyline, you've got an opportunity here to play up Gene and Storm's friendship, which has not been touched on enough in these movies. But the fact that she is like that speech she gives to Logan when he's, you know, getting ready to go out for Jean, she's like, oh, she made her choice. You know, she turned against us and all that. Like it, that's not storm. I guess it just kept what I thinking was when she's delivering that speech. And then right before she goes onto the jet, she takes Wolverine aside. She's like, you, are you ready to do what you have to do? And she's basically saying like, you're the, you're the one I'm telling you to go kill Jean. And I'm just like, that is, Again, that's not Storm. Like it's Storm. Again, it's 
yeah, it's definitely not Storm's personality at all. Mm-hmm. And and it's funny to me. I, I was just thinking about this, like uh, uh, the accent that Halle Berry uses for Storm in the <laughs> yeah. first movie. It just kind of fades away, and so she's just talking in her normal voice. Yeah. In the third movie. Oh yeah, because really kind of cracked me up after the first movie like i think it was during when they were filming the second movie singers like don't use the accent (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, yeah. i i think they they really should have played up that uh that friendship like you said of Mm. of gene and and storm and i i think it would have maybe maybe helped the story a little bit but and i I don't think they even really do that in the dark phoenix movie either no not at all yeah like it's just basically like she's just there again (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah none of that stuff is touched on at all in either of those movies um and just like this this even mckellen like even mckellen just seems he again he tries to do the best he can with what he's given but he just seems kind of bored with this material in this movie and, and I would be too. <laughs> like, I, I feel like the first two, like Magneto's like definitely doing a lot. Um, they're, they're showcasing his powers more. And, and again, in the, in the second movie, I feel like we see that full force, but um, I, I just read uh, before we hopped on, I, I think he was working on the Da Vinci code. And then he was also doing some theater in London as mm-hmm. well. So I guess some of these scenes, which I couldn't tell, but I guess they, he had to do some filming in England and mm. then they just kind of superimpose him in the scene, which now reading that and kind of thinking about it, I'm like, that kind of makes sense. Cause yeah. in some of those scenes, he, he doesn't seem like he's really connecting with who he's talking. To. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's just, he, he just seems so, and it, this, this script does is, is such a bad treatment of Magneto as a character. Cause he's just, he he just seems very a lot of the grandeur we got especially in the second movie is just completely lost in this one and he just feels very very one note in this movie yeah i would agree it's 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 very one note he's he's just kind of uh flouncing around in the cape just like throwing it over his shoulder every two seconds <laughs> you know it's it's and he's just kind of making these grand speeches, which, you know, a Magneto is known to do from time to time. But that, I mean, that's pretty much all he's doing. In this yeah. Film. <laughs> well, um, now, one of the big criticisms a lot of people had of this was the how they depicted the Phoenix as like an as like an outgrowth of Gene's powers and all that instead of like right. the cosmic force. Now, I don't know about you, but I actually thought that makes sense for the world that's established in these movies, because, you know, these movies, they're trying to be very grounded. And as, as much as good as the dark Phoenix saga is as a story, I do feel that it's not my favorite X-Men story. My favorite X-Men story is actually God loves man kills. Cause I feel like that really centers that, that center central idea of what the X-Men are about that, that conflict yeah. between human and mutants, that idea of prejudice and all that. That's what the X-Men is all about. It's fun when the X-Men go off to space, but it it has nothing to do with that core concept of what the X-Men are. So I feel like them taking that story idea and then instead it's it's Gene's powers, you know, basically going out of control. I think it makes a lot more sense as a plot as a as a way to to root in this idea of 
human mutant relations, this idea of also that whole speech that Xavier gives when he's given the, the class on mutant ethics, talking about, you know, what are the ethics of having these superhuman powers? Again, that's stuff when I'm like, that should really be the driving force behind this movie. Because also that scene when the president says to Beast, you know, I wonder how democracy can survive when one man can move cities with his mind. These are good questions. These are very good questions. And yeah. And like when um, the civil rights metaphor and the the prejudice metaphor and all that with the X-Men, it's the metaphor only goes so far because eventually you get to a point where whether you're whether you're gay or whether you're trans or whether you're you're black or Hispanic or what that doesn't give you any extra abilities, right? Like if you're right, but if you're a mutant, like it's one thing to say, I don't want my kid being taught by a, by a black man or a gay man. It's another thing to say, I don't want my kid being taught by someone who might shoot lasers out of their eyes uncontrollably. Right. <laughs> and there's a very good question to have. Like, I think one of the, um, I remember in the in the first movie when Senator Kelly's talk giving this speech about in Congress about mutants, and when he's talking about you know here's a girl who can walk through walls, what's to stop her from walking into into a bank vault or to anyone's home and taking whatever she wants? I'm like that's a good question, and that poses there's a real debate to be had about mutant powers and the idea of mutant registration because. As a fan, as a reader of this, I get the metaphor there, and and I and obviously it, I I side with the X Men in that, and that registration is bad. But in real life, if my neighbor had the ability to blow up a city block, I think that's something the government should probably keep an eye on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. At least just have like some sort of database of like, mm-hmm. hey, this person has this ability. We're not taking any action. But um, just uh, just kind of keep an eye on it. You yeah, know? Just, yeah. Uh... <laughs> but um, going back to your point about um, the the Phoenix Saga being presented in this way, I think I think you're right. It does, um, you know, make sense in this universe, and I think that was a good way to kind of introduce that idea. Um, and of course, now that we have again, the MCU and like mm-hmm. Guardians of the Galaxy really kind of put that in perspective that, you know, these these heroes can go into space and like Infinity War right. and Endgame after that, obviously. Um, you know, now, and, and then, you know, we see them try to attempt it with Dark Phoenix and then it doesn't really work. <laughs> so, um, and they make the same mistake in that, in that trilogy mm-hmm. of introducing Jean's powers as like she already has the phoenix force Mm -hmm. and then goes and says oh she got it from space right after um it was such a weird way to do it because i i I, to the life of me even i've seen dark phoenix now like maybe three or four times and i still can't tell if the phoenix is gene or if it's this cosmic force because it seems like it's both it's it's such a bizarre way to do it yeah yeah and i and, and again i think they just make the same mistake that they made as far as using the same writer Mm -hmm. who was already doing these things for the original trilogy, instead of having a fresh set of eyes come in and be like, okay, let's, let's kind of, you know, take a better look at this. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And just some of the direction in this is just really kind of all over the place. Like that scene when Wolverine goes to the camp, there's that scene where he's fighting, I guess that's supposed to be Spike. Um, and there's this weird kind of 
tracking shot where where they're running at each other and he's throwing the bones. It's like kind of like this low angle and then you got Wolverine and it's like he's cutting and it's just like it looks so bad. I'm just like every time I watch it, I'm like, this is just so I hate I hesitate to use the word unartistic, but I can't really think of a better way to say it. It's just it it looks so clumsy. Yeah, and I I feel like I, I don't feel like we've ever gotten that in the other two movies. Maybe there's some of it, but I feel like it's 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 better shot. Oh yeah, for the action that you know you can't really tell. Um, but it's yeah, it's very egregious in mm. some of these shots. <laughs> and uh, the, you know the 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 battle at the end. I think uh, you know it's just it's uh, just all these mutants running towards uh, mm-hmm. the the six, and it's like four or five different um you know copycats of nightcrawler and yeah I'm thinking like why is it nightcrawler in this movie it's <laughs> like, such an it's such an uncreative fight scene especially when now i know we're we're talking differences of scale here but if you compare it to like the the battles in like the avengers movies where you see characters using their these different abilities and you get a little bit of that with the X-Men, but not a whole lot. Um, I think, honestly, Kitty is probably the one who has... Kitty and Iceman are probably the ones who have the most creative uses of their powers. And even that's yeah. not very creative. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and it's it, it's kind of frustrating because for, for someone like Iceman, like, you want to see him, like, uh, do his little, um, what do you call it, like, surfing on the, mm, the, the, the ice, ice slide. Yeah, yeah. Run. Yeah, the eye slide. Yeah, you you want to see him doing those things that we've seen in the comics, and these three movies just kind of establish him as like he doesn't know what he's doing, which I I think would have been a better uh, arc for him mm-hmm. if they just showed him using his powers a little bit more every time. Yeah, in a more creative use. I guess. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, I'm glad that we did get to see his ice form in this, but it looks, yeah. I mean, it looks kind of bad though, but it's still nice that they had attempted to it. Um, and honestly, the best use of his powers was probably in days of future past. Cause we see him ice up. We see yeah, him no, using the I'm ice slide in that. that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, like Colossus, it, it's so weird because he looks so good in that brief scene in X2. And it just, it looks so cheap in this movie. Yeah, I I don't I don't know where like you said it was the most expensive superhero movie at the time and I have no yeah. idea where any of the money went. Like it certainly wasn't the effects. He's like I'll some somebody somebody put some money in their pocket. I'm telling you that much right yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> or they or they paid um they they paid Sir Ian McKellen a lot of yeah. money to yeah. just stand in front of a green screen in yeah. London. Well, I mean, and continuing that, I mean like the Dark Phoenix effects too. I mean like you've got the dark phoenix you've got this iconic imagery associated with her of the flaming firebird not once do you ever use it and it's just like she's got these black eyes and like this these like veiny things and there's just like this and just like this bright backlight and that's it like it's it, it was insulting almost <laughs> Yeah, it's it, and I thought today, like obviously, me doing a horror movie podcast Mm -hmm. uh, kind of puts me in this frame of mind. But you know, it looks like something out of maybe The Ring or The Grudge or or something like that. Just kind of that imagery of like 
scary girl with long hair yeah you know, it's 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 not it's not a great use and like you said there's it's just such like that imagery of her popping out of the water and being like i am phoenix like they really should have played that up a little more especially, i know they kind of do it well yeah but... especially because the last movie ended on that shot where you start to vaguely exactly. see the firebird in the water and then you're not going to use it at all in this movie yeah yeah, it's a shame. I, I, it, out of everything, I think that's probably one of the biggest missed opportunities, mm-hmm. especially since it is a story centered around the Phoenix. Like, you're you're not even going to use any sort of fiery effects at I mean, all. Yeah, I mean, even <laughs> like... but even in Dark Phoenix, again, they have the opportunity to do it again. They still don't really do it in Dark Phoenix either. It's just no, they're making, like yeah, you said, they're making the same mistakes. Yeah, and. I, I feel like they do it more in the apocalypse movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> like honestly, that's the yeah. only time she's, that's the only time we ever see her in that kind of like Firebird Phoenix form. Like, and then it disappears for ten years because <laughs> those yeah. movies are ten years apart. Yeah, like I, I guess she just never uses her powers again. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's so frustrating. I, yeah, they do my girl Jean so dirty. Oh, absolutely. All the time. Yeah, yeah. Um. And again, and like you said, Famke Jansen is, she gives such a good performance in these movies. And it's just, it's so disappointing that we never got to see, because one of the biggest through lines of that Dark Phoenix story is that Scott and Jean relationship. Like that anchors that story so much. And it's just like, that is all completely gone in this movie because you don't have, because you kill off Scott, like first chance you get. And then you just have it with, with Logan and it just doesn't work the same way. It doesn't have that same emotional resonance. Yeah. And I, and I think if Scott was kept alive and maybe it was it, they, like, I think that works better as a, a love triangle, obviously just mm. based on the history of the comics, instead of the Iceman Kitty rogue. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Love triangle. I think they should have just, played with that but I, I think you mentioned a little bit with the conversation about superman returns like um james marsden is in that movie so <laughs> so obviously that's part of the reason why you know he's killed off so early but it's such a shame like i i, I feel like i feel like a better way to end this is having cyclops be the one mm-hmm. that's like obviously killing off Jean or saving her in some way. So I think one of the biggest sins of, especially now that we can look back on all these X-Men movies as a whole, there are two big sins about these movies. First off is there's a lot of people involved who do not care much about the, the source material. Like you watch the, the MC movie, MCU movies and you can have, there are legitimate criticisms to be had about those movies. There are, questions to be raised about some of the decisions they made. But one thing you cannot deny is that the people involved in those movies, they care about the source material. There's a there's a definite affection for that source material you can see in those movies. With same thing with, you know, you mentioned uh Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. Same thing with that. There's a lot of questionable decisions Sam Raimi made in the in that original trilogy. But that love of Spider-Man, that affection for the source material still drips off the screen in every single frame of it. These movies, you can tell they're made by people who did not care about the source material. Yeah. 
Um, and and I think even right down to just putting the X-Men in just plain black suits, mm-hmm. which I, I know kind of references, uh, I believe it's the, the ultimate timeline kind of from so like that's, the late 90s, early 2000s, right? Well, kind of. It, it's We're kind of dealing with the chicken and egg situation here because the movies came out before the ultimate books did. Um, oh, oh, okay. But yeah, that's I mean, I understand putting the X-Men in black leather. I I'm a bit of an apologist for that. Like, I'm not saying it's it's the best idea, but I'm saying I can, I can justify it more than I can. If you were trying to do this with like, you know, say Spider-Man or the Avengers, because the X-Men are uh, a team, this whole idea of them being kind of like this search and rescue organization that works for what the X-Men are. Um, You know, them being this, this school, you know, having these training kids and all that, all of that kind of fits together with like this, and especially at the time period, right? Because you got to remember, this is 2000 that that first movie came yeah. out. And up until that point, like the last big superhero movies before this were um, Batman and Robin and, and Spawn, which were both, you know, terrible, you know. And <laughs> yeah. so like, and especially with like the gaudiness and all that. So there was a huge backlash to the idea of making things too superhero-y. I think like at that time, the audience wouldn't have really been ready for that. X-Men serves as kind of a, it it serves as a nice transitional movie to get people more interested in the superhero stuff. So I can understand why they went with the black leather at the time. I think it made sense for the time period. I'm not saying they should always do it, but I think it makes sense for what they were doing at the time and the kind of environment they were facing. And this idea of, we want to change the public perception of superhero movies as not being something that looks goofy, but as something that looks serious. And, and then they did like, I, I say this, you know, X-Men walk. So Spider-Man could run. Right. Uh, because you went from the X-Men movies with the black leather and the superhero ideas in kind of a ground. And then you go to Spider-Man where he's in the classic costume, he's swinging around and people buy into it. And I think yeah. that's so I, I'm a I'm a defender of the black leather costumes. I don't think they're great. I still think, you know, I, I do think that when they do reboot the X-Men, they should give them more comics accurate costumes. But I understand it for the time frame they were they were facing. Yeah, yeah, you bring up some good points. I, I kind of forgot, you know, it, 22 years later, you kind of, especially yeah. with MCU, we've been so spoiled that like watching it now, you're like, why did they put him in black leather? Mm-hmm. It clearly doesn't work. <laughs> well, it does work, but you know, it's for me, I would rather, you know, obviously see the, the kind of colorful. Oh yeah. Yeah, stuff, absolutely. But. Yeah. I mean, that's, and it's a, especially now, like you look at them, especially it was a weird choice. Cause at the end of apocalypse, they give the X-Men those costumes and then in dark Phoenix, they completely do away with them. And I just didn't understand yeah. what was the point of that. Um, so frustrating. <laughs> but now, but now we're at a point where people are willing to accept this stuff. So you can have like the Avengers in these more colorful costumes. You can have the justice league, and all that. And when we get the X-Men back, I mean, you know, we saw in Multiverse of Madness, we had, they had Professor X on the hover chair. So I think when they do get around to having more X-Men stuff, I think we'll, we'll see the more comics accurate costumes come back. Although, and I will die on this hill, I do not think Wolverine should wear the mask. I, I friggin' hate that mask. It's just, I think he's, <laughs> I think that character's got such an iconic look without the mask that you don't need it. Yeah, and and I would say uh, Wolverine in these movies, I feel like they treat with such care, mm-hmm. and you know, and, and he's pretty accurate to 
the comics in the sense of like you know the kind of ruggedness and like yeah yeah the, the jeans the wife beater tank and you know the leather jacket or whatever so um yeah i i definitely agree with you they they shouldn't do the mask and i think it would look kind of ridiculous on screen i think so too yeah probably um but yeah it'll be interesting to see what they do um uh, my hope is that they they kind of treat the dark phoenix saga kind of like how they did the infinity saga Mm -hmm. and kind of you know build it up and incorporate the hellfire club and incorporate maybe some of those um uh the cosmic aspects mm-hmm. like in guardians of the galaxy and right such. and i i think it's kind of laying that groundwork but um yeah, yeah. i don't know what 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 storylines do you think that they should do for the mcu well i want to get to that but one thing i want to say because oh, i said there okay. are two i said there are two big sins that these movies had oh, the first yeah. one was about the comic the lack of faithfulness to the comics or the lack of people involved who actually cared about the comics. The second biggest sin of these movies is they forget that the strength of the X-Men has always been that ensemble nature. And, and like you said, very accurately, yeah. they focus a lot on, of, on Wolverine in these movies. And then in the later movies, they focus a lot on professor X and Magneto. And it's just, and it's at the expense of, everything else like there's so much focus on those three characters and the the dark phoenix story only works again if you have that emotional resonance of the gene scott relationship without that that story doesn't work and you can't do uh dark phoenix where gene is basically a supporting character in her own gene and scott are supporting characters in their own big romantic romantic tragedy and then, yeah. but then the story, then the heart of the story is still about Wolverine and Wolverine or Professor X and Magneto. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think making it a two part film so that they mm. can kind of flesh out everything, and including you know those aspects of Wolverine and Magneto and and Professor X. Like I, I think it would have boded well as a two parter. But again, you know, this was before you know i i feel like harry potter kind of started that trend of doing you know their last film is kind of like a big two-parter mm-hmm. and then, you know like hunger games did that and i think twilight did it too uh, you know some of those movies were better off split into two parts but, yeah exactly you know, yeah again it was before the time <laughs> well yeah it's the same thing with with the uh, dark phoenix i mean you first had to have a movie establishing what the phoenix is how it comes to gene how gene deals with that power and then you do the corruption yeah. in the second movie that's really i mean honestly i think the best way to do an x-men um to do the x-men now would be to do like because the strength of the x-men has always been those soap opera dynamics those character interactions yeah. it's hard to do that in a two or three even three hour movies set a few years apart but what you could do, and I think this would probably be the best thing to do, is first off, I'd have I'd have solo Wolverine movies. Um, I think Wolverine, I'd have him come in for like some of these X Men stuff. But I think save like the big Wolverine centric stuff for his own stories. He can obviously he can yeah. anchor a franchise on his own. And there's so much stuff you can explore there, especially now that we have Madripoor in the MCU. There, I love Madripoor in the comics. There's so much stuff you could do with Wolverine and Madripoor. Um, yeah. We've got the hand in the movies in the MCU now. You could do stuff with that too. Uh, all that stuff would be a lot better explored in solo Wolverine movies. But honestly, in 
if you're looking at the X-Men as a franchise, I think what you do is you have TV shows like on Disney plus or something have like six to nine episode seasons or something, and then cap them off with movies, I think is probably the best way to do Mm -hmm. it. So you have these character dynamics, you get to see the characters interact, you get to have them go up against, you know, you know, some of these other different villains. So we don't have to have Magneto in every goddamn movie. (laughs) (laughs) And, and you can explore things like, because you don't need a big two hour blockbuster movie to tell God loves man kills. You could easily do that over the course of a season of TV. I think it would probably be better served over the course of a season of TV. Um, And then you, you save something like dark Phoenix saga for a movie is really, I think how you do that. Yeah, I agree. And and even like Days of Future Past could probably be a good storyline oh, yeah. for TV too. Um and, and I think the film version of that um could I have thoughts about Kitty mm. Pride being uh you know the <laughs> the, the yeah, somehow that was so she weird. Gains, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, it, she can face through I'm time. <laughs> yeah, she can face through time somehow. Okay, cool. Great. Um but yeah, I, th- I think that storyline would be better served as a TV show. Um, well, I mean, I think if it, I think this did you ever watch? Up... Did you ever watch the Heroes TV series on NBC? Um, I oh yeah, it's it's been a long time, but yeah, but yeah. that was that's a good example of like that versus they dealt a lot with like the future stuff and all that in there, and I feel like yeah. one of the biggest one of my biggest issues with days I love Days of Future Past as a movie. I'm like, I wouldn't say love, I like it a lot. Um, yeah, but it's one of the things that I felt was like the biggest weakness is they spend so much time in the seventies era where I think the future period was so much more interesting. And I wanted to see more about how we get from the end of the Wolverine to this time period in days of future past. And I would have been so much more interested to see them explore that world, but they don't have enough time and they got to put most of the focus on the stuff in the 1970s. So, and I feel like if you had a TV show, you could really dig into a lot of that. You can do episodes that are set completely in the future and, and all of that stuff. And it'd be, yeah, that would make a great season of TV. Yeah, absolutely. And um, especially because when you look at, well, when you look at that original story, it's not even that much of a big budget affair. Like it, we think of it now as one of the most iconic X-Men stories, but it's not like dark Phoenix levels of, spectacle right it's just the brotherhood trying to kill a senator and that's it yeah yeah pretty much and and i i I think it would be cool and maybe split it up into two seasons like Mm -hmm. really kind of um and and then like the kind of end cap or you know cliffhanger of that first season of it would be them killing the senator and then it kind of goes into the the crazy Mm -hmm. uh future time period and then you know them trying to fix oh yeah yeah you could do a lot of stuff with that or even like you know if you ever saw wolverine and the x-men the tv series they had also done a lot of stuff with the future as well and then you know and they were when they were when they were planning on doing a second season they were going to do the age of apocalypse that's something else you could play with over over a, a season of tv or so absolutely um another storyline kind of piggybacking off of the the phoenix saga is um them eventually doing uh i think it's the uh, avengers versus x-men mm-hmm. uh timeline where um 
you know, like Cyclops and Emma Frost and all them get, I think they're the Phoenix five or something. Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, I, I think that would be really cool as like a, like an end cap movie mm. for, for, for the X-Men. I, I think that would be cool. I think it'd be cool, but I think it's, they, it's something that I think that's something that's got to come like 10 years down the line. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, that was my next point. I was like, they got to get the Phoenix saga, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, at this point we don't have very big hope. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, also, I think one of the things that the MCU, I, I thought a lot about how the MCU should introduce mutants. I know everybody is saying like, oh, it's the multiverse. Just bring the, I think that's just such a lazy way of doing it. I yeah, think, and I, I think agree. based on what we've seen now, I've had this idea since before, but based on what we've seen in, in WandaVision now, I think this is much more likely is that mutants have always existed in some form. And we get, we kind of get a little bit more of that because uh, if you've seen World uh, Wakanda Forever, Namor says that, you know, I'm a mutant. He uses, he specifically says, I, he's, you know, he's yeah. announcing himself as Marvel's first mutant. Um, <laughs> and uh, the end of Ms. Marvel, right, they have that cliffhanger where they say, like, your powers are a mutation. It's not, you know, so there, there's, we know that mutants exist now and they've existed. So I think my thing is like mutants have existed for a while in small numbers. And then in WandaVision, we saw that the, the infinity stone didn't necessarily give her her powers because there's a pretty obvious hint that she had had them before when she was a little kid. So right. there's this idea that I think the infinity stones have been able to kickstart mutation, especially because now we've had, you know, three snaps on earth. So all that cosmic energy flowing through the earth, I think it's very easy to say like that's jumpstarted mutation. So what I would say is that for, all these years, you've had Xavier and Magneto on Krakoa gathering mutants in secret, maybe with Nick Fury's help or something like that. Now, yeah. there's been a sudden explosion of mutants. So now they're appearing everywhere. And so now that's bringing them out into the open. Yeah, yeah. That I think that would be a really cool way to, to bring that in. And I'm glad that they're kind of slowly introducing that mm -hmm. idea and, and uh, bringing up uh, like WandaVision and Multiverse of Madness. Uh, I feel like the the Scarlet Witch that we've seen so far is kind of a a, a better uh, depiction in a way of uh, the craziness of Phoenix than yeah than these two movies. Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> Scarlet Witch, in a way, is kind of a, a, kind of the same kind of tragic character as Jean Grey in mm -hmm. a way. Whenever she gets uh, the Phoenix Force. Um, so the two of them are kind of one and the same in that regard in, in some ways. So I, I thought that was funny that in Multiverse of Madness, I'm like, wow, this is this is very much a, a Phoenix uh, storyline. Very similar <laughs> ideas. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, Josh, you have any final things to say about uh, The Last Stand? I think I've pretty much tapped out on what I had to say about it. Yeah, uh, same here. I mean, I, I again, I, I in this... Uh, rewatch i'm not as as critical as mm. i probably would have been had we talked about it 10 years ago but you know it, overall it's a it's a fun watch even though some of the parts of this movie are kind of boring mm. <laughs> like the the big grand speeches from certain characters yeah but, but overall it's it's a it's a good watch i you know it's a not the greatest way to end this trilogy but you know I think, <laughs> I mean, for me, it's still, Kelsey Grammer is still the best. I thought of this then, I think it now. Oh, Kelsey yeah. Grammer is still the best thing about this movie. I mean, if you, ha 
if you've seen this movie and you know you're wondering if you should watch it again, I'd say honestly, just you know, see if you can find a supercut on YouTube of all the beast scenes. Would probably be best. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, yeah, it's just he's he's so good in these movies, and it seems like, and I'm hoping that when we do get, if we get Beast in the MCU, that we'll get more of this Beast and not so much the Nicholas Holt, you know, stereotypical, you know, shy nerd milksop that he played. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, let's uh let's hope that they they do that. And um you know, bring bring back somebody like Rebecca uh Rebecca Romaine. Thank you. <laughs> my my brain like uh yeah, I'm really tired. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I've been moving a lot. Um anyway, yeah, Rebecca Romaine as Mystique was was great in this trilogy, so I I feel like bringing back her or maybe somebody like her that mm-hmm. can achieve this kind of like acrobatics and uh like sensuality of mystique uh, i think is is a great way to go i mean honestly i think recasting is probably the best thing to do because especially i mean i mean i know everybody wants to see hugh jackman back and i know he's going to be in the in deadpool 3 but honestly i think and i think there's there's also rumors that they're going to be bringing in a bunch of other former marvel actors for secret wars and that's fine for that you know kind of like dc did with christ on infinite earths that's cool to bring them in for like one last hurrah type thing but i think overall yeah. it's better if we just kind of like recast because i mean jackman's in his 50s now and he can't keep he can't keep doing that to his body let the guy <laughs> let the guy take a break yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let 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 him play some other characters mm-hmm. for once. Like this, this poor man has been, you know, beaten the freaking Wolverine horse to death. Yeah. Like, and I, I was, I mean, Logan is such a great movie. Oh yeah. But I was so happy when they were like, okay, we're putting it to rest. No more. Like, <laughs> and even with Patrick Stewart at that point too, it's like he he was doing it for so long. It's mm-hmm. like, how much more can he really? do with the character well yeah i mean it it was it was so cool to see him in multiverse of madness but the entire time i'm watching i'm just thinking like this poor guy needs to take a break like he's just this this he's just (laughs) too old for this role anymore now yeah and you know obviously it was just more so like a cameo thing but Mm. just just to bring him on for like a whole two seconds and wanda rips him apart it's it's just so sad you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) um I did love that they had the little X-Men guitar riff, though, when he came in. Oh, yeah. That was just like, Jeff's <laughs> kiss. Um, well, actually, that's a good thing to end on. Do you, do you have any ideas for anyone who you would like to see play the X-Men when the MCU brings them in? Oh. I don't know. Like, I have a feeling of they're, that they're going to try to cast young just mm-hmm. so that they can, you know have the longevity of the franchise, but I almost want to say like, bring in some actors that are in their thirties and forties, like kind of like they did with the 2000 Mm -hmm. movie and kind of bring them in when they're a little older and kind of do what they did. Introducing Tom Holland as Spider-Man. Like we, we kind of know the origin of X-Men at this Mm -hmm. point that we, we don't really need to kind of do like a, um, like a first class per se right. of like an origin story. So kind of hoping they go that route. Um, I'm trying to think there's, I mean, I don't like I some of the names. I really think of any of, 
I mean, some of the names oh, I've ahead, seen right. floated around, like I've seen people talk, these may, may sound weird, but I've seen people talking about Daniel Radcliffe or Zach Efron. And honestly, looking up some photos of them, what they look like now, Radcliffe's pretty scruffy looking. He could probably do it. Yeah. Yeah, honestly. Um, and, and hell, maybe bring in Channing Tatum, but maybe not as Gambit. Maybe not as Gambit, yeah. I, th- I, I don't yeah. think that was a good choice even when he was younger. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't know, maybe him as Colossus or, you know, mm. yeah, any any kind of like beefcake that it, just insert him as Colossus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, do, do you have any uh, a, a kind of wish list or anything? Um, Not really. I mean, I think I do hope they go younger, I think. Um, it might be interesting to see Fastbender back as Magneto. I think that might be the one person I would probably want to see mm. come back. Um, yeah, because he's he's at now right now he's probably at the right age where you can have him give him you know you know bleach his hair or something and then have him play Magneto going forward. I think he'd probably, I think he probably he could probably pull that off pretty convincingly now more more so than he did then. And he was the best part of those of those other movies too. So oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see what they do as far as uh, the Magneto-Scarlet Witch relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, they probably will forego that, I imagine. I'm not so uh, sure because, because, you know, I know they they undid it in the comics, but they only undid it in the comics because at the time it was... Because um, uh, Fox had the rights to the X-Men and, you know, Ron Perlman, who's in charge of Marvel, he had kind of like this feud with them. So he's like... No, no X-Men, no mutant stuff related to the Avengers at all. So it was, it was that whole kind of, ah. and so that it was like this very kind of petty idea. Hold on one sec. Uh, no worries. <laughs> but yeah, there's this, um, and so I think, and like they've kind of, I'm not sure if you're up to date on the, the X-Men comics now, but they had done the trial of Magneto storyline. And in that, you know, Wanda had said, basically, you know, even though you're not my biological father, I still think of you as my father. So there's kind of like this there. I think they're they're kind of starting to reestablish those familial bonds between them. So I think that mm. now that Marvel has all the rights to it, I think that when they bring in Magneto, they will go down that route. I, I don't expect them not to. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously looking back at Age of Ultron, like, I, I wish they wouldn't have killed off Silver so quick. Yeah, he, um, especially but, like he was, he was, I, I love ATJ as Quicksilver. I thought that was such yeah. perfect casting. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess we'll see what they, yeah. what they do with it. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, Josh, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, why don't you tell people uh, where they can find you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you for having me on. Uh, you can find me at uh, Super Scary Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, you, you can follow me on uh, my regular socials at glossy underscore not Matt. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, we release uh, new episodes on my podcast every Monday, wherever you find your podcasts. Um I did an episode with Perry in January. So that's my first episode of my second season. So we, we do a lot of good stuff over there. Um, 
yeah, check us out. Yeah. Uh, so I think based on the schedule, um, this episode, uh, when people are listening, this will be in March. So you can go back and listen to the, the Morbius discussion we had. Um, or you can also go back to the episode I did on here when we talked about Morbius with um, with John Brasek. So you can go back and listen to that, too, and, you know, pair them up together. <laughs> yeah, pair those two together. Mm. and It'll probably be more entertaining than the actual film. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> All right, Josh, thanks so much for coming on and uh, more than welcome to come back on anytime you like. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. See you soon. Thank you. That does it for this episode of Superhero Cinephiles. SuperheroCinephiles.com is the website. Super Cinema Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And if you subscribe to our Patreon page, then you get these episodes a week in advance. Plus, you get access to the um, Superhero Cinephiles Book Club podcast where we talk about um, comics and graphic novels, all that fun stuff. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. If you enjoy the Superhero Cinephiles, then you'll also love my companion podcast, the Superhero Cinephiles Book Club. All my Patreon subscribers get access to this exclusive podcast where I review superhero comics and graphic novels. Not sure what comics you want to read next or what you should dive into? I've got you covered on that. I'll be doing reviews, recommendations, and also talking to you about useful entry points if you're interested in reading some comics but don't know where you should start. Plus, you'll get access to all episodes of the main show a week before everyone else. On all of this, for as little as just a dollar a month, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash supercinemapod, and you can sign up at any subscription amount to get started. Thanks so much for your support, and please don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and as always, good night, good evening, God bless.